Welcome to Discover Ag, where every week we discover what's new in the world of agriculture. We're your hosts, Natalie Kabork, a rancher and pharmacist from Nebraska. And Tara Vanderdusen, a dairy farmer and environmental scientist from New Mexico. And together we bring you our professional farming opinions on a variety of trending topics in the ag and food space. So you can better understand our food system and feel connected to the hands that feed us. Today, we are back with episode 94 of Discover Ag, and as always, it is brought to you in part by Case IH. Happy Thursday, discos. I have to say, I almost didn't make it to today's <laughs> recording. I have been on hold with American Airlines for over an hour and a half. For what? Trying to get a refund, and I just couldn't give up. You know, it's like once you are at a certain point, you just keep going. No, you just have to, you have to do it. But you know, you can go to like American Airlines forward slash. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Don't want to hear it. I am old school and I want the representative. There has to be someone else there out there that's like me. I just want to talk to a person. So I heard a trick and I don't know if it's true. I can't remember if I've given this, but I feel like it's a hot take that if you're on hold and you start cursing a lot and like say like (laughs) some mean things about American that they put you through faster. I don't know if that's true, but that's what I've heard. So that's what I always do. So when it's like this call will be recorded, I'm always like, oh my gosh, they're going to catch me being like F-bomb. But I'm like, oh, whatever I had to say to get to a person, I'll say it. Well, I have to call back in. So I'm for sure going to trial this. We'll see what happens. So I have a very funny story about this weekend. We celebrated Jack's fifth fifth birthday, and I have a feeling you and a lot of other spouses will um, lament in this story, if you will. Mm, I can't wait to hear it. By the way, the girls are going to be calling Jack's today to tell him happy birthday, so stay tuned. Oh, he'll love that. Okay, so we had his party on Saturday, and I we could talk about this in a little bit, but I fully am trying to enter a hosting era. Like I want to be a hosting girly. I want to throw the Pinterest parties. Like I want to be back to like romanticizing things in my life like that. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to kick it off with Jax's fifth birthday. I am going to throw, it's going to be a, a banger. Like I have to this point not done anything super exciting. Natalie's throwing a rager for the fifth five-year-old birthday. Okay. I think we need to like discuss your hosting on the fact that that's going to be the rager. You kick off your hosting era. I just mean I'm going full nine yards, balloons, tablescape decorations, like the whole nine yards for a birthday party that I've, I've not done yet for Jax. So I wake up Saturday morning and I'm going to run to Kearney, which is like our next biggest town. It's about an hour and a half away. And so I'm going to go get all the stuff, the groceries and everything. And Luke is staying home with the littles. And as we leave, I casually mention, you know, maybe today we could get the yard mode. Like the yard was not behind where it was unbearable for guests. But it would look nice. You know, we're throwing this rager, right? It would be nice to have a nice yard for the nice rager. So I fully expect to get home and have the yard mode, which I did not explicitly ask him to mow the yard, but I casually mention if there's time, hop on the mower. The yard is not mowed. So Luke asks what he can do to help in the kitchen because I am I am fully a Tasmanian devil in the kitchen at this point. I am cutting watermelon into dinosaur shapes. I am making all of the things again, nine yards. And I say to Luke, you know, I think I can handle the food, but if you want to go out and finish the mowing, um, cause he had mentioned that he had like weed eated and done some stuff outside. So he goes outside and I hear the mower running and I'm not paying attention. Cause I am like nine yards deep in cowboy caviar, you know, like not paying attention to what Luke is doing. He comes in later showers. The guests are about here and it kind of rained on and off. So we didn't spend a ton of time outside on our deck actually, but we did go outside and I didn't really pay attention 
to the yard. Next morning, Sunday morning, we go outside to go to church and I notice the yard is not mowed. And I look at Luke and I said, did you not mow the yard yesterday? Like I heard you mowing. And he was like, yeah, I thought I would mow around the crowls. <laughs> I was like, that's what you did to prep for the party. When I asked you to mow the yard, you mowed around the corrals that are down. Like, I mean, they're like by our house, the shoot, the crowds, all of that. That is what he chose to do. And I could not help but think of you with your um, reel of like Daniel mowing or um, vacuuming the lawn. <laughs> Let me just say the fact that you just said that Daniel was, I asked Daniel to help clean up. Actually, I don't even know if I asked Daniel. Daniel, if you know Daniel, he is a clean freak and he's just crazy. But we were like cleaning up for people to come over and Daniel was vacuuming our turf with my home vacuum that will never be the same ever again. And the stories on that reel of women and things like this that have happened, like that, you know, you've asked your husband to help for like a party or something and like what they've gone and done. My favorite was this woman was going to be like hosting a massive like 75 person Thanksgiving and she needed to start cooking the turkey. And so she asked her husband to help clean up. He disassembled the oven and cleaned out all the parts and then put it back together. And she was like, it worked. Like, thank God he got all the parts back together. But I just like, I died a little bit when I read that one. Oh my gosh. I am laughing so hard. I'll share that real to the Discover Ag stories today and people can check the comment section because it seriously was hysterical. Oh my Anyway, goodness. yeah. Anyway, the birthday party was, it was a lot of fun. Jack's had a lot of fun. And I have now been eating birthday cake every morning for breakfast as one does when they have birthday cake in the house. I did it wrong. I went all out for my kid's birthday up until their fifth birthday. And now I'm just burnt out and I am no longer in my hosting era. And I can't muster the energy to host. Like I went so all out for their the first like five years of their lives. And now I'm just done. We did exact opposite. My poor kids like birthday photos up until this point, you wouldn't even know it's a birthday photo. You're like, oh, is that their birthday? <laughs> yep, that's <laughs> their birthday. <laughs> but I am very, very excited to enter my hosting area. I have um, committed to watching masterclasses on food. I really want to get back into, again, like romanticizing food in the kitchen and just spending time there and hosting people. Like Luke's a very, very extroverted. One of his favorite things to do is have people over. And I get a little anxious hosting. And so I'm really trying to work on that as well. But I'm very, very excited to enter this phase. It's the first, I feel like it's because my littles are getting bigger. Like this is the first summer that I haven't had a baby on my hip or been pregnant. And I just feel like things are going to be easier to do those details and like, you know, be the hostess with the mostest. Oh, I agree. I think so. By the way, Maddie is weighing in and she feels like this is a total Kent move. So she's she's dying laughing on the back end of our podcast, you guys. I feel like we should introduce Maddie to everyone. Yeah, go ahead. Introduce Maddie. We now, you guys, have a podcast um, producer, I guess, for lack of a better word. That's what she is. Uh, you guys might follow her online, Maddie McCall. She is going to be you know, sitting in um, helping us on the back end, taking over our social channels and just elevating Discover. We're really, as we've said many, many times, pouring our heart and soul into this podcast. And we thought the next step was bringing on a team member. So we are all very excited to welcome Maddie to the team. You guys show her some love online and you may hear her voice every now and then on our podcast as well. She said she's blushing. I'm reading the chat. She's not <laughs> official. She's just texting. Um, I do feel like our podcast is very official right now with that we have someone like on the back end, like, you know keeping track of us. 
keeping us going. Um, fun fact about Maddie. I've known Maddie her entire life and her and my sister were best friends in high school. Okay. So cooking story. You were talking, you're the chef of this podcast and I need some help with cooking. So I have only ever cooked a full chicken one time in my entire life. And it was in college. And it was this like bachelorette prank where um, one of my sorority sister's moms like thought it would be fun since I was getting married to be like, it was like a whole game. Like you were surprised your mother-in-law's coming over for dinner, you have to cook a chicken. And so then I had like so many minutes to cook a chicken. And she was like, well, you like live on a farm. So I assumed you like knew how to cook and do things. I was like, I've never cooked a chicken in my entire life. So I cooked a chicken. Well, It's kind of a long story. I'm sorry. But in January, you know this, but I don't think I've ever shared online that I was in the running for MasterChef. And I was like deep in the running, like getting my plane ticket to fly and spend six weeks in LA. And one of the things I had to do was cook a chicken. Well, I backed out before the very final step of cooking a chicken, but I already bought a chicken. So it is sitting in my freezer, a full chicken, which I don't even know if you're allowed to freeze chickens, but I need someone to tell me what to do with this chicken because I don't know. And I, I promise that game that I played in college, the chicken did not turn out good. I don't think anyone ate it. So like, I need serious help on how to cook a chicken. So <clears throat> last week, you were a little ashamed to admit that you have never slept in a tent before. This week, I am a little ashamed to say I have also never cooked a chicken either. <laughs> Great. We're like the blind leading the blind over here. So I am officially the baby of the family. And I feel as... If when it comes to events and parties, it takes all kinds of kinds. It takes someone to be the person that brings the bottle of wine and the paper towels and the napkins and the last minute things that no one else wants to pick up. And that is the person I became in our family. It was all my sisters are excellent in the kitchen. I'm by far the worst. And so they took over everything. And I was always the last daughter to get the official duties, the youngest sister to get the duties. And it was like, you know, bring whatever, you know, grab some basil and a wine. It was all the random parts. So I have never cooked a chicken either. It would be a disaster if you and I cooked a chicken together. Oh my gosh. Great. Okay. Well, maybe some discos can send in some ideas to the Discover Ag page and share with us your recipes. Cause I think I'm getting, like, I need to cook it, I think, pretty soon. Like, we're six months of it in my freezer. So, and I would like it out of my freezer as well. So, we should start a Natalie and Tara first time series together where we do like first time things together and film it. It would be fun. Uh, people are very excited that my first camping experience is going to be caught on camera. That has been a thing over the last week since we announced that. Um, even my dad yesterday was like, how you feeling about your camping trip coming up? <laughs> I was like, not great. Okay. Like if I'm being honest. Now that you mention it, not doing well. <laughs> yeah. A little unwell about camping. I am glad we're talking about some of these more personal things because I have been intentionally wanting to, well, share a little bit less online, but on the same side of the coin, also share more personal stuff here on the podcast that is for our podcasting community. I think it's fun that they could get bits and parts of us that, um, you know, not the whole social media world gets. So I'm kind of glad we're having some of these conversations right now, actually. We have some exciting things coming up on the podcast where we're going to be sharing more personal things. Yeah, we're hoping to. I'd love to get your guys's, your listeners' opinions, but we have been feeling like obviously the core of what we talk about is news and agriculture and food. And obviously that is a big passion of Tara and mine and something we love to lend our voice to. But we also feel like we're missing a little bit of us. And so we've tossed around the idea of maybe doing like a once a month, very personal episode where it could be Q&A based or we could you guys could like submit a topic that you guys wanted us to talk about but it would be very 
personal, honestly. Um, and I'm excited about it. I feel like for me, honestly, it's easier to get personal in the podcast than it is to get personal on my social media page. It's whether that's like positive or negative. I was thinking about the other day. I was like, when I am having a bad day, I don't just initially whip out my phone and like talk to it. And I've also been wanting, you have to like visually share stuff obviously on social media. And I think that's why it's maybe easier for me to just share more on the podcast or would be because it's like easier for me to verbally say things than always have to capture it in like video or photo form, if that makes sense. Um, It actually makes a lot of sense. I've been feeling that way in stories lately that I'm like, I would love to share about this, but like, I don't want to just like talk into my phone. And yeah, there's not like a visual component always to like, quote unquote, feelings or like stories or like past, you know, things that are going on. And sometimes things happen in the moment that you don't capture. And it's fun to kind of like go back and recap and talk about them. So I'm excited. We would love to get your guys's opinions on this too. Um, This would be a Tuesday episode. So it wouldn't take away from our Thursday episodes at all. It would be like a bonus episode, as Natalie said. Um, So we, um, in addition to our summer debunking series, this is something else we have going on. We told you guys we had a lot, a lot happening this summer, and um, we're excited to bring it to you guys. All right. We should dive into our articles. We have some fun ones today. Um, before we do that, though, do you want to do, I picked out a word of the week or that we could do for the podcast since last week we had juxtaposition. Oh my gosh. You're like surprising me today. I like don't I even know. know whose podcast this is. This is amazing. <laughs> Tell us the word of the day. I can't wait to hear. So I sign up for uh, we're going to do, I think we should do word of the week or do we want to make it, I guess it doesn't matter. Formalities. I guess it would be word of the week. You're right. Sorry. But I signed up for word of the day. And so I just picked from like one over the last seven days that I thought would be, I thought we could try and use it maybe in throughout the podcast. It could be a challenge okay. to us. And then our, yeah. if everyone listening, they can try and challenge themselves, use it during the week if they want. Um, but it is myriad. Have you ever heard the word myriad? I don't think so. Tell me what it means. It's an extremely large number. So the example sentence they gave was, you can see a myriad of stars if you go stargazing in the deserts of Arizona. Ooh, I did yeah. not know what that was. Myriad? Mm-hmm. Myriad. Myriad. Um, actually, I think that teases up well for our first article. <laughs> a myriad of explicits? Explicits? <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right, you guys, diving into our first article. Pete Davidson leaves PETA unhinged voicemail. Explicit, 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 explicit. Pete Davidson is going to war with PETA over the new dog he bought, and he fired the latest shot via profanity-laced voicemail for the animal rights group, a move he doesn't regret, but says comes from a place of grief. And we actually do have a copy of the voicemail, so we will play it right now for you guys so you can hear what we are going to be talking about. Today at 2.41 p.m., Hi, my name's Pete Davidson. This message is for Daphna, um, the team. Uh Thank you so much for making comments publicly that I didn't adopt a dog. I just want to let you know I'm severely allergic to dogs, so I have to get a specific breed. I'm only not allergic to cavapoos and those type of dogs. And my mom's dog, who's two years old, died a week prior and we're all so sad so i had to get a specific dog so why don't you do your research before you create news stories for people because you're a boring kind of you and this message okay so i think that the main point here is like PETA is mad at him for buying a puppy instead of adopting. That's kind of their stance. Although if you dive into the PETA politics, they're not really crazy about you adopting animals either. So I feel like it's kind of one of those PETA like not being totally honest about what they're upset about. 
So first off, I had no idea you could leave voicemails for PETA either. I'm like, well, that's very interesting. I wonder how Pete <laughs> got a hold of that. Should, do you think we should Ladies start leaving them voicemails about animal agriculture? <laughs> like play them our podcast in a voicemail. <laughs> that's so funny. Every week. Every single week. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. Um, but no, I was actually listening to... I listened to quite a few podcasts and there was one that they do just like pop pop news and they're younger. I would say they are borderline um, quote unquote zoomers as we learned is the official terminology for Gen Z. But I was listening to them talk about it and I thought it was interesting because they, what I took from part of their conversation is that they were basically like, you just got to let PETA do what PETA does. Like you don't go against PETA. And it just kind of made me question, is there anyone that likes PETA? Like, does PETA like PETA? You know what I'm saying? Like, who is the people that are tolerant and accepted of PETA? That's funny that you would say that because there I ended up down a rabbit hole of like facts about PETA. And one of like when I was Googling, you know how Google like gives you lots of like question options that keep like that are in line with what you asked Google. And one of them was who even likes PETA anymore? Yeah. (laughs) I clicked it and it was like, PETA has 9 million members globally. And I actually was like, that's not that many globally. Like, I do think they are not. I think there's the diehard PETA people, but there is a lot of people who are not fans of PETA anymore in this day and age. Pete Davidson being one of them. Yeah, no kidding. So back to the article, I kind of forgot that uh, these, I guess, pet stores even existed. Honestly, I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. It has been so long since I have I can remember going into one when I was really, really young. There was one in our mall in the town I grew up outside of. And that is kind of the last time I I guess I've like seen a pet store or like or, you know, pets in a pet store, I guess. Uh, the only pet store I've ever been into was in a mall in college, I think. It was a long time ago. Um, and the, I listened to a podcast about this. And this was one thing they did say. And I kind of agreed with like, I'm not against you. I don't care if you buy your pet. I'm not a huge fan of pet store pets. Like I, the podcast I listened to was like, the conditions are pretty crappy. Like, I don't know. I don't know the back end of breeding and I am obviously very anti PETA, but I feel like if you're going to like buy an animal, I think like connecting with a breeder seems like a better idea than just like going to a mall in a massive city and like buying a pet. But then again, we don't live in a city, so I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, Tad really wants a dog right now. And we've obviously just been reaching out to breeders that do cow dogs. And again, like I kind of forgot we could go somewhere. I mean, I don't even know. Maybe they have cattle dogs in pet stores. I have no idea. But I think it brings up the question of it's obviously not these animals fault that they're in these stores, though, right? So if you come from the aspect of like, well, someone has to buy the puppy so they get out of the puppy store. Because I don't know what happens to puppies that aren't bought in the puppy store. Do you know what I'm saying? So I mean, the the origin is obviously the pet store. We have to create laws or implement changes around that if we want to get away from it and go to like a, a direct to breeder system, obviously. But I feel like, well, the pet store is there. Someone has to be buying them. But then you don't want to create demand. Like it's a whole chicken before the egg thing. Mm-hmm. Do we try to like curb demand or yeah, which, which comes first? And um I will say that Pete came out like defending himself, which I kind of hated. I hated that he felt the need to defend himself to PETA. I don't know how you felt about that. But like, I was just like, you you don't have to tell them why. But supposedly it was because he is allergic, allergic to dogs. He needed a hyperallergenic dog. That's the only kind of dog he's not allergic to. And then he was like, my mom just lost her pet. And I'm trying to make my mom and my sister happy. So I got them a new pet. And I, I just was like, 
I feel like you're like justifying PETA by going out and defending yourself to them. Yeah, that is interesting. I didn't, I guess, pick up on that tone or it didn't bother me as much, but they're both standing their ground. Then PETA came back and said, well, you could have got this specific breed, this hypoallergenic from a breeder. And then Pete came back and was like, well, I didn't know that, but I still stand by what I did. So it's kind of been like tit for tat and neither are really backing down. Not that PETA ever backs down. Right. (laughs) No kidding. So back to PETA, I want to share some interesting facts that I found about them when I was going down this rabbit hole. They're not big fans of us having pets. Sometimes they're okay with pets. This is according to their website. Um, The Institute of Pet Keeping is fundamentally unjust as it involves the manipulation of animals. PETA recommends also using the word companion animals, not pets. So apparently words words do matter to them. They also oppose seeing eye dogs, which I thought was terrible. That is I terrible. I thought that was a weird stance, but they said like pets or companion animals shouldn't work for us. I would imagine they're against cattle dogs too in that <laughs> sense. But yeah, they the seeing eye dogs should not have to work for people. You should find like a friend or family member that would help you do something similar that a seeing eye dog would do. Going back to when you get to the root of some of these organizations, right? At surface level, some of the issues they stand for, you're like, yeah, I can, like, we, we see eye to eye here, you know, but when you start pulling back the layer of what you're putting your money to and organizations you're standing behind, I feel like it's really important to understand the root core of what it is. And I imagine the deeper and deeper I'd go into things that, um, PETA, I guess, as a, a person not coming from an agriculture background, just as, you know, removing that we have horses, cows, and working cow dogs, I imagine the deeper I got into PETA, the more I would be like, okay, actually not in line with anything they stand for at all, probably. Yeah, I agree. Did you know they also want your pets to be vegan? And that's like against almost all veterinarian recommendations. So even that would not agree with that. Again, back to my opening statement, who actually likes PETA? Good question. Um, all right. Anything else you want to add about Pete Davidson and PETA before we move on? No, I have a lot to say about our other two articles, so let's get into them. All right. Our second news piece you guys need to know this week, titled New York City residents will soon have to compost their food scraps. The city council passed a bill on Thursday requiring New Yorkers to separate their food waste from regular trash, with mandatory composting coming to all five boroughs by next year. It really is like a myriad of trash in New York City. Oh, point for Tara. (laughs) Yay. Cheers for me. Uh, No, the one time I've been to New York City, one of the big impressions I had was it was crazy. Like I ended up really early in the morning have to wake up for work and being out before the trash was picked up. And I could not believe the amount of trash from one day that like piles up on the streets. I'm talking like mountains of trash in the street until it gets picked up. 12,000 tons each day, I read in one article. Um, And more than a third of all that trash is organic waste, was quoted from um, a a councilwoman who was in support of this bill. So they really do have truly a trash problem. I also read that they have an accompanying rat problem to go with that trash problem. Oh, I'm sure. Which I didn't really think about. And then when I read that, I was like, ooh, yeah, that makes sense. Um, I do think before we get into this, I want to talk about methane really quickly, if that's okay, because we always talk about methane related to cattle on this podcast and people's conversations around it. So methane, 50% of methane is man-made and 50% is natural. Of the man-made methane, 14% is landfills and trash. So 
when we want to talk about methane, I do think talking about trash, landfills, composting, organic waste, all of that is very important because it is a large contributor to the methane problem here in this country. Oh, and worldwide. Yeah, and that is obviously the reason behind this this goal or bill, sorry. So the bill is called the Zero Waste Act, um, and it's going to mandate that they separate food scraps from the trash, kind of just like they do with recycling, but now it's going to be food scraps so that you can compost. Um, and like you said, it's because they want to reduce, you know, the potent greenhouse gas called, quote unquote, or quote unquote, the potent greenhouse gas called methane, Um And so that's really why they're starting to implement this. Yes. San Francisco and Seattle mandated uh, composting of organic waste since uh, 2009. And then California is officially statewide composting as well. So New York City is not the first and obviously won't be the last that's doing this. I thought that uh, the chairwoman of the sanitation committee, her quote was very telling. It was, this is happening. Like, technically, this is supposed to be voluntary at first or whatever, but she was like, this is happening. We're going to do this. Like, get on board. As you mentioned, they are not, like, heading the way in this. New York's actually be behind in this. I read a lot of articles about how they are really lacking. Um, they were even going, like, comparisons of globally of, like, comparing New York to Paris, like, which would be, like, similar in layout and I don't know, like, population-wise, but they were kind of giving some uh, myriad of examples of other cities. <laughs> <laughs> And so they they do feel like New York is kind of beha- behind when it comes to this, the trash regulation. But this is not the first of this bill either. They actually rolled out this bill as is. Same thing where the different boroughs, they start in one, they, they slowly roll it out through all the different boroughs to do this uh, separation of leaves. So like grass and yard, as well as the, the food scraps, but it was voluntary. And then somewhere in the middle of it, they switch to now potentially not making it voluntary and mandating it through this um, zero waste act. Yeah, there's actually like two streams of the organic matter. It is like yard waste, debris, like you said, leaves and then food waste. And they're like two different topics, but they're trying to tackle both of them. When I lived in Bozeman before I moved to Nebraska, we had to do that with our yard clippings. They would not be picked up unless they were in a separate, you had to bag them in a separate um, garbage bag and separate them out from your, and that was, you know, seven, eight years ago. So yeah, New York, I do feel like is really behind the times. Um, Some things about this, this was passed by the city council and it'll be enforced like similar to recycling, but it has to go to mayor Eric Adams, you know, one of our favorite discos. I'm sure he's listening. Sure. He takes all of our our advice, but he has to sign the bill and they're not sure if he will, but there's so much support for this that the city council could veto him and pass this with or without him on board. And I thought that was weird. Why would a person, why wouldn't he say this? I mean, he's the man that's like, let's remove all animal agriculture in order to reduce methane. So why would you not support this that removes, removes a different type of methane? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't see, I guess there's two sides of the coin. One could be like, it's an overstepping of, you know, I guess people's lives or rights. I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's something I feel like people could be coming from the aspect. I'm sure there's an economic component of, you know, extra employment, um, which one hand that'd be more jobs created, but I'm sure there's going to be a cost to taxpayers to fund this. Um, I also think it'd be interesting to see composting on that large of a scale. Like I haven't personally done composting, but I can't imagine it smells very well when you get all of that together and there, this would be a rather large compost pile. So I think I wonder if there will be ripple effects of 
you know, what that is near and zoning and all of that kind of stuff. So I think there's that side of the coin, which in my mind, I don't know if that's like strong enough to outweigh the responsibility you have to just like separate out when again, cities across the nation, states across the nation are already doing this. So it's obviously viable. It would have results, as you mentioned, methane from landfills is a huge issue. So I don't know. I mean, I'm kind of for it, but I'm also not in New York City and I don't live, you know, on the 26th floor of an apartment. So it's easy for me to say like, yeah, I I think you can do that and you should do that. Okay. You said a bunch of things that I kind of want to touch on. Um, I'll start with one and then I can move to that very last thing that you said, actually. But the goal is ultimately to compost. But until then, most will go into anaerobic digesters, uh, which is superior to landfills. But then they say that uh, composting is superior to anaerobic digesters, which I thought was interesting. And I couldn't find anyone like re like a rebuttal on that, but I would be, I would love to know like the stats on like anaerobic digester versus composting. But um, yeah, this isn't something they can just like flip a switch overnight and be like, oh, now we're officially composting everything. So digesters will be like the short term of being able to handle it. And then the goal is to compost. So I don't think there's even really a plan in place for that yet. And then the last thing, the last point you made was I'm not living in a New York City apartment. Uh, Yeah, this is really difficult for people to do that are in these apartment buildings. Like it's not that simple. Again, there's not just necessarily a bin. You have the smell factor of this. And then there is the Um, almost a half a million people in New York that are in public housing and they're regulated by federal standards, not state or city standards. So they won't have to do this. So there's just a lot happening. Obviously, I mean, New York City is a massive city. Like it, it's broken down into the boroughs, as you said, of how they'll even implement this, but it's not just like, okay, we're doing this. Boom. This is how it's going to happen. The last thing I'll highlight, because I do think it is relevant to this whole conversation, is food waste facts. You know, if people have to start composting and doing more of the labor and or the labor at the end of the food buying, you may see shifted habits at the beginning of the buying, I guess is how to say that. And I think that's big. I mean, we've talked about this on podcasts before, but for anyone new tuning in, 40% of all the food in the U.S. is wasted. It comes to about $166 billion um, in retail value of preventable waste uh, that we spend on food we never eat. But 135 million tons of GHG emissions are what's created by the food we never eat. So if they do have to be more stringent as humans on that end, again, we might see the beginning also shift, which if we're cutting you know, emissions from landfill and we're cutting emissions from food waste, and it's just kind of like a full spectrum that we could see um, of cutting down in, in areas all over the board. Yeah, my very last point also was 50% of New York's waste is organic matter, which is food. I mean, essentially, it's food waste. I mean, maybe some of it is like scraps you've cut off like the tops of strawberries. But obviously, some of that is just straight up food waste. And so the fact that 50% of their waste is organic matter, I do hope that maybe it will make people think twice, like you said, on the buying side, like bringing that food home. If you're not going to eat it, it's going to end up, if you have to now deal with it, figure out how to compost it, it may give pause for a moment um, for you to think about what, what you're buying and how it's going to be disposed of. Last thing I'll say is like a lot of things is going on for New York lately. (laughs) I feel like Mayor Adams is just cracking down. He's like a New Year's resolution guy. You know, you wake (laughs) up January 1st and you're like, I'm going to eat healthy. I'm going to save the planet. I'm going to work out every single day. And like, then you don't finish anything. Like, I almost want to be like, hey, dude, just like, can we just pick one thing? And like, maybe a food waste and this is this is it. Um, But yeah, I feel like I'm like, you were just trying to tackle every problem in New York City on your first six months in the, the office. 
they were like me trying to clean my house before the birthday party crew arrived, you know, (laughs) frantically trying to do everything. All right. So before we move into our third episode, I have another shout out from one of our reviews. Um, And I really loved this one. It was from Dawn Krez and it was left just like at the end of May. These ladies are my number one fact checking resource. I love how they break topics down to both sides for producers and consumers so you can make an informed decision and be in the know. I adore their personalities. Well, thank you. And they what that they bring to their podcast and to their social channels. So that's I love that. I love we do try to come at it from not just an ag side, but like a non ag side, just like a consumer side and give you guys some facts while also our glowing personalities. <laughs> All right. The third article you guys need to know this week title Ireland looking to kill 200,000 cows to fight climate change. Are U.S. herds next? In the latest effort to reduce emissions from agriculture, Ireland said it may kill 200,000 cows. Meanwhile, climate activists have America farms and ranches in the crosshairs. When we talk about anything going on in the EU, I feel like one of the things we hear the most from our discos is like, do you guys think that U.S. will be next? How will this affect the U.S.? So I really, um, this article, I think, really touches on that. And I will say you picked this article. I think I would have actually picked a different article about the same topic if I had been like been the one that thrown it in. But I actually really appreciated this article. It felt like an episode of Discover Ag. Like it was doing all of the work to tell us all the why are you laughing at me right now i'm laughing because i thought you picked this article and i, and <laughs> I, I wrote where i did not i wrote i thought it was going to be about ireland but it's written by a <laughs> wyoming paper and it actually addresses what we spoke about last week on the podcast which is john Kerry's remarks about climate change and honestly i feel like it did a really good job of what we do on discover act which is debunk <laughs> as to why ireland shouldn't do this and why we should be concerned as the u.s in our defense, I think maybe what happened is like a disco sent this in and all of the articles you guys send us, we put into like a board and then we pick our favorites. So I'm guessing maybe that's what happened. I don't know which one posted it, but I thought the same thing. I was like, I thought this was about Ireland. So I did Google other articles about Ireland to bring to this conversation today. Same. So maybe we want to just start there and kind of give a basis of what is actually going on in Ireland. Before we do that, I do want to say if you are not in ag and you um, this article was amazing. It broke down, like I said, a lot of the topics we we cover, and in, in even if you are an ag, on Discover and really like got into the nitty gritty of it all. So I think it's worth reading it if you want to know more about like how cattle are good for the environment. So in Ireland, their goal is to reduce nitrogen pollution. The last month, the EU actually approved a $1.6 billion plan for the Dutch government to buy out livestock farms. So again, you know, this is happening all over the place. But this story is focusing on culling 200,000 cattle over three years in Ireland, which is about 10% of the dairy herd in Ireland. Yeah. And the reason they want to do that is the government is setting really pretty intense objectives across the board to slash. They want to slash carbon emissions by 51% by 2030. I don't know what is with 2030. Why is everyone so hyper fixated on 2030? But anyway, they want to do 51% total. And specifically, they want to cut agriculture emissions by 25% because they say that the EPA um, for Ireland specifically is responsible for 38% of natural greenhouse gas emissions in 2021. And a majority of that came from methane and livestock, um, as well as nitrous oxide from the use of nitrogen fertilizer and manure management. So I think it's worth noting that 
under the European Green Deal, the, the goal is climate neutrality, and it is a legal commitment for 27 countries agreeing to reduce greenhouse gas emissions by 55% by 2030. Ding, 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 the magic number again. And so every single one of these countries, at least 27 countries, are now proposing the way they're going to do that. And so this is Ireland's proposal for being a part of the European Green Deal. I'm so glad you knew that because I did not know that. And I, I wrote down, like, obviously, I feel like Ireland is because there's a lot of heat on them. They are a country that has, quote unquote, consistently missed climate goals. Um, they do have one of like the higher em- emitters. But I obviously think that's probably related to having larger amount of cows. Like if you have more numbers than other areas, you're going to emit more. Um, but I wrote down like who was putting the heat on them and like, what are they threatening? Like, why are they so intimidated? I mean, there was a soundbite from an Irish farmer that was saying that this target is about the survival of the government rather than the survival of the rural Ireland. So I do think it is very like fingers are pointed at the Irish government, do something about it. But I didn't realize that is where it was coming from. Yep. That is where it is coming from. Um, Some of the costs associated with this, it is going to cost $640 million for them to buy, you know, or coal these cattle over the next seven years is what they said that that's how much will be spent. Cause I mean, short term is three years and then seven years, obviously to 2023. And, you know, we're talking about like loss of income for these farmers. They're going to have to like, you know, find other jobs. Uh, rural economies are going to be hit really hard with the reduction of these cattle. Like, so it's not only the cost of the government culling these cows and like buying these farmers out, but there's going to be a lot of ripple effects in the economy. I mean, Ireland ag, especially animal ag products, like you think about Kerrygold butter, all of those types of things, cheese are huge for them. I was going to ask that because um, I felt like it, it's pretty intensive for dairy. And so I wondered if you had any stats on like their contribution to the dairy industry globally or any like, I don't know, inside New Mexico milkmaid scoop you would have maybe. Well, you asked me like the one question I don't know, but I will <laughs> say we have the world's largest cheese plant in our town. <laughs> toot, toot, toot my own horn. Um, and it's owned by a Irish company, a cheese making company. It's not just in Ireland. Like it, it's a global impact that they have on like our world dairy supply. So one thing on that note, I'll say is that one of the concerns about this is kind of what you just said, that this is not just an Ireland issue. It's, it's a global issue. On that same vein of thread, this brings up a talking point that has been in several of the articles. It's a talking point we have talked about before. Um, Frank Mitloner does a really good job talking about it, but it's what is called as leakage. And basically it is, sure, we could cut down the cows in Ireland. We could cut down the you know, the emissions in Ireland, but we're just going to see that slack picked up elsewhere because while there is still demand, we have to have production of agriculture, of the foods. And and the concern with that offsetting, that leakage is while the, the greenhouse will go down in Ireland, it'll be picked up somewhere else. And the concern is that it's in a less productive area that maybe even has less, you know, more lax environmental laws. And so we could actually see increased greenhouse emissions maybe in a worse way, like though it could actually be a worse consequence from cutting emissions in Ireland. Yeah, I agree. Um, a really great, great soundbite from this was that in Ireland, they have the same herd size from 25 to 30 years ago. They've stayed consistent while increasing production. And they're like, can the same thing be said about like the transportation industry or the energy sector? Like, can we not give ag a little credit that we are doing more with the same number or less? And it kind of gets to the question about emissions. I don't I don't think we've actually talked about this on the podcast, but the difference between absolute emissions and 
emission intensity. And they talked about that a little bit in this article that like you have the absolute emissions that a sector produces, but then you have emissions intensity. So if you compare that to dairy, emissions intensity would be like a gallon of milk is made with 66% less carbon emissions than 75 years ago. That's the the quote. But overall, the dairy sector may have absolute emissions that are increasing because we have to increase the amount of milk we're producing in order to feed a growing population. And that has to be weighed too. Like, Unless people are not going to have children, which I know is happening in the EU, and that's not to say that that's what I'm for, but like, you, if to feed more people takes more emissions, even though we're getting better at emissions per whatever unit. Does that make sense? Did I totally get lost in the weeds there? I just think it's like an important conversation to have around this. No, it makes absolute sense. And kind of similar, it's something you and I ask all the time, like what is the acceptable emissions even? When you look at the agriculture sector, what are we shooting for? Like what is the emissions that are okay for agriculture? So one of the things about this is that Ireland is claiming this will be like a retirement or exit plan for farmers. Like, oh, if you want to retire, we'll buy your cattle and we'll cull them and your farm will not be in business anymore. That actually, we used to do that in the dairy business in the 90s. It was called a buyout program. And part of the money like we paid into, every dairy farmer paid into this fund that was a part of the buyout program. And every once in a while, we'd implement the buyout program. And basically, it was a retirement plan for farmers who wanted to like get out of the business. And there was a lot of benefits to it. I'm sure there was a lot of negatives too. I was really young, so I wasn't like, I don't have all the details as an adult going into this. But... Years later, just recently, the dairy industry was sued for price fixing, I think is how they like claimed or did it, but basically that the dairy industry was trying to control prices by buying out dairy farmers so that there would be like a bigger demand and a lower supply. And thinking about this in terms of that, I wonder what the repercussions down the road will be when there is, you know, food insecurity potentially in some of these countries where they're having to import more food. If prices of food go up, are people going to be looking to like sue agriculture and say you culled 200,000 cows or whatever? And so it made our prices go up and like you, you know, got more money for your cattle because there was a less supply. And it just reminded me as I was thinking through this, like we, we, never know the unintended consequences. And we always talk about the unintended consequences like, oh, well, cattle consume byproducts. Cattle are important for soil health. But what about like the economics consequences down the road for like people who are now like food insecure because we removed a great source of animal protein from their diets? Yeah, I wrote down that we have to remember that affordability and availability will likely be affected by this. I mean, we can't say exactly what will happen, but I think you're really naive if you don't think prices or the availability of food will be affected. Uh, the article, which neither of us can agree who put it there, <laughs> actually talked about this. Um, she pulled out the quote that said, you know, one in eight people in the U.S. is considered food insecure. You know, I spent some time on one of the websites, I think it was Feeding America, and it said that 34 million um, in the U.S. are get, not getting proper nutrition, 9 million of which are kids. So I think people think those are like hypothetical talking points, but they're not. They're like rooted in reality. We do have food insecure problems and changes like this would absolutely affect prices and availability, which would further lead to likely more food insecure. I would also be curious, you know, Discover Ag is worldwide. And so if we have any listeners that are from Ireland or near Ireland or have more of a personal connection to this, you know, personal account testimony, things they want to share, please, you know, message us on our personal pages or on the discover page page, because I would absolutely love to get, um, 
you know, someone beside our take when we're sitting over here in Nebraska, New Mexico. So if you are closer to the source, please message in and let us know what you're seeing and what you think. Yeah. And we will, we'd love to be able to share the, some of those conversations and our stories on Discover Ag on Instagram. So with that, thanks for listening to Discover Ag, where every week we discover what's new in the world of agriculture. And we will see you guys next week. 